the reproaches of them that reproach thee are fallen upon me. Psalm 69 verse 9. A reader, understanding that Psalm 69 is a messianic psalm, has asked for an explanation of this latter part of verse 9. In what way were the people reproaching God, and how did these reproaches fall on his son? The superscription of this psalm declares it to be a psalm of David. The Apostle Paul removes any possible doubts as to its authorship when he quotes verses 22 and 23 of the psalm with the introduction, And David saith, such as Romans 11 verse 9. The Apostle Peter, standing with the Apostle Paul, deliberately points out that David spoke by inspiration, putting it this way, The Holy Spirit, by the mouth of David, spake before, concerning Judas, Acts chapter 1. And the particular quote in Acts chapter 1 is, Let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, taken from Psalm 69, verse 25. At Antioch in Pisidia, in the synagogue on the Sabbath day, the Apostle Paul, after a brief sketch of Israel's history, points out that God raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Acts chapter 13, verse 22. Now Jesus was the man after God's own heart, and he did fulfill all his father's will. It is remarkable to see David described in terms which properly belonged to God's own son. How appropriate then for David to be the author of Psalm 69, entering under inspiration into the heart of Jesus, God's son, and son by human descent of David too. I have borne reproach. His passion for the work of his father brought reproach, scorn, and insults upon our Lord. It was his utter faithfulness and righteousness which led men to hate him. When the scribes and Pharisees brought before him the woman taken in adultery, he challenged them. He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her, in John chapter 8. Not one of them could meet that challenge. They were convicted by their own conscience. In the same chapter, Jesus issued a further challenge. Which of you convinceth me of sin, though every one of them followed him closely, with evil intent, looking to find fault, not one of them could accuse him. His righteousness was a stunning rebuke to their unrighteousness, and they hated that. At the first Passover of his ministry, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He was angered by the despoiling of the temple, because he found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changes of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple, and the sheep and the oxen, and poured out the changers' money, and overthrew the tables, and said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house an house of merchandise. Our Lord found not a house of prayer, but a place of business, and a crooked one at that. There may have been others who were filled with disquiet at what was happening, but it took Christ and his zeal for his father to take determined action. The disciples could think only of one verse in scripture that met the circumstances. Psalm 69 verse 9. The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. That zeal was undoubted. Towards the end of Jesus' ministry, it was again in evidence. Jesus came into Jerusalem and into the temple at the very end of his ministry, and again cast out the traders, and would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple, in Mark 11. The house of prayer for all nations had become a den of thieves. 
Once again, our Lord's zeal for God's house was evident. The response? And the scribes and chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him. The ministry of our Lord was bounded between these two incidents of zeal in the temple. In between, we see a determined campaign of sustained hostility and insult against Jesus. But it went deeper than that. We find that God was reviled as well. His word was made of no effect by their traditions. His testimony verifying his son's claims was scorned. His righteousness had been overturned by their evil practices. His holy temple had become a den of thieves. And when the rulers were rebuked for their shameful behaviour, they aimed their reproaches at the one who came to them in the Father's name. They said he was possessed. They laughed him to scorn. They derided his parables. In thus doing, they were dishonouring the Father as much as they were dishonouring his Son. The two were indivisible in mind and purpose, and to reproach the one was to reproach the other. When they aimed their barbs at Jesus, they were defaming his Father as well. In the words of David, the reproaches of them that reproach thee, the Father, are fallen upon me, the Son. And it all began with the Son's zeal in the temple courts when he upheld the truth of his Father's viewpoint. In Romans 15, verse 3, the Apostle Paul quotes Psalm 69, verse 9, but the second half. And the context is telling. The previous chapter saw Paul making it clear that though a strong brother might well know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is none other God but one in 1 Corinthians 8, that knowledge must not let him ride roughshod over the feelings of a weak brother. The apostle declares, But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Destroy him not with thy meat, for whom Christ died. Romans 14. Having made this point in the negative, Paul, in the first section of Romans 15, encourages the strong to be mindful of their care for everyone. As Brother John Carter put it, love helps the weak. The Apostle commences the chapter, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak, and not to please ourselves. This matter of self-denial, of refraining from pleasing ourselves, leads the Apostle inevitably to the example of his beloved Lord. For even Christ please not himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproach thee fell on me. Let Brother Carter explain. God is addressed in the words quoted. He was reproached by the Jews when they walked contrary to his commandments and when they killed the heir. In their hostility to God, their hatred fell upon Christ. This he suffered because it was the Father's will. Not my will, but thine be done. The inference to be drawn is that if Christ made so great a surrender of personal desire, should not his followers be willing to deny themselves of those liberties which give offence? The rulers of the Jews would have been horrified at Paul's interpretation of Psalm 69 verse 9. But when Nicodemus slipped carefully through the shadows of the night to come unseen to Jesus, his opening comment was, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. They, the Sanhedrin, knew, and were therefore accountable. As we think upon Psalm 69 verse 9, it seems clear that one thing led to the other. That is, it was our Lord's zeal for his father's house and all that was involved, which led to the bitter reproaches of men which were finally borne by his faithful son, honouring his father even unto death. 
Let us then join with our Lord, we who are blessed to be part of the Father's house because of the work of a faithful and loving Son. And like him, let us strive to please not ourselves, but rather first look to the needs of our brothers and sisters.